0: Happy Monday, welcome to Couch Potato Diary, my name is Peter Klein, thank you very much for downloading and listening today. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Twitch twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show Diary at yahoo.com. The music for the show provided by Waste Talent, you can find them on Instagram at Waste Talent with X is where the A's would be. It is the Monday after an NFL Sunday. We've got a lot to react to from the world of sports, so let's get right into it. And we will start today with the National Football League, another early wake-up call as the Miami Dolphins fall to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Miami is in a real trouble. Um, I said coming into the season that they were one of my sleeper teams. I thought that this was a team that could take another step. Now, I thought that this was a team that could take another step because I thought Tua could take another step. That has yet to be proven incorrect, but this is a horribly flawed football team. And we pointed this out in the preview last week. I just didn't think they were lose to Jacksonville. Horribly flawed. And for Jacksonville, this is a positive step. Obviously, winning a football game when you haven't in over a year, is going to be a good thing. But also, you can at least see what it looks like when it looks good now for Jacksonville. We hadn't even seen that for the Jags at any point this season, and so to see for uh, to, to see from Jacksonville and to see from Trevor Lawrence specifically that you can lead a few drives and you can get this offense in any kind of r- rhythm and sustain that for an extended period of time, that's a positive thing. Now, you did it against one of the least talented teams in the league, as we are finding out, but... Still, for Jacksonville to actually see that, it is the first real positive sign we've seen from Trevor Lawrence this season, and I think Jacksonville needs to to be really happy about that. This is not a plan the parade. I don't know if they're going to win another football game this season, but you can at least see flashes of something to get excited about. Cincinnati, with a convincing win over Detroit, they whooped them boys, and for Cincinnati, It's pretty clear now this is just a good football team. I don't know if they are a great football... I'm fairly certain they're not a great football team. But there's the makings of a great football team there. And one of the... I mean, obviously Chase is a standout. And now you are seeing Joe Mixon get into that kind of a rhythm now with this team. For Detroit, I thought it was interesting post-game Dan Campbell calling out um, Jared Goff and saying, we need our quarterback to step up. We need him to be better, that I appreciate that greatly from Dan Campbell. And it's not just because I'm not a Jared Goff guy. I have said before, it is one thing for a general manager or whatever to put together a team that maybe isn't going to be the best in the hopes of getting a high draft pick. But you cannot let the loser tanking mentality creep into that locker room. And Dan Campbell is fighting that mentality, kicking and screaming all the way to the end of this season. And I, I think Detroit's going to win a couple of games this year. I, I think that they're, even in their division, like if they caught Minnesota, they, they almost caught Minnesota on a sleepy day. If they uh, catch Chicago on a sleepy day, they, they can pick up a couple wins, I think, this season. But I, I appreciate at least the mentality that Dan Campbell is trying to instill in his football team. And now we'll see how Jared Goff responds. In his defense, he is not necessarily surrounded by a whole lot of talent. But when you are paid the amount that Jared Goff is getting paid, and we all agree that's a ridiculous contract, but there is a certain responsibility. You are expected to elevate those around you, and it is pretty clear he is not doing that. Green Bay with a 10-point win over Chicago. Kind of hurts the Chicago plus six prediction, I thought. Chicago hung in there a little bit better, and I I did not think that this was uh, a 10-point... Difference uh, Obviously, the score ends up being that way. But on the football field, I, I thought Chicago did some some really good things. They, they showed some flashes. Allen Robinson needs to be more involved for this offense. And I think he's going to be going forward. And, and this is not just me saying this from a, a fantasy perspective. This is a player that I think a young quarterback, if he get like He is a, a player that can bail out a young quarterback. And we, we have seen that time and time and time and time and time again in Allen Robinson's career and it would be nice to see him with a veteran, experienced, good quarterback, and he just hasn't had that at any point in his career, but I think that the underutilization of Allen Robinson is hurting Justin Fields, and it's hurting this offense. Uh, and for Green Bay, if anyone has worked up about the I still own you comments from Aaron Rodgers, you're trying too hard to be upset. It's a funny thing. There are people flipping him off. You would react the same way. It was awesome. And for Green Bay... It obviously looked sketchy to begin the season and there have been a couple of times where it's there have been a couple of speed wobbles, but this is just a, a reminder from Green Bay that this is still a good football team. The Chargers get absolutely annihilated as they head into Baltimore. My wife's Rogue Pick of the Week works out. Um, I, I had the, the Chargers plus two and a half. They just got whooped on by Baltimore. I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to just being a bad day for the Chargers, but for Baltimore now... When we were having the conversations about who the best team in the AFC was, there, there was some, I mean, obviously Kansas City is going to get some, but they have struggled at times this season. The Chargers were going to get some um, because like, they, they look like they have taken a step. Buffalo, with a big win in prime time over Kansas City, they got a lot of love. And it just felt like no one was willing to believe that Baltimore could be the best team in the AFC. And look, even with this win, I still don't know if... If anyone is willing to believe that Baltimore is the best team in the AFC, but this is a team that needs to be taken much more seriously than they are being taken. And it, like, the the Chargers get a win over Kansas City. Their stock rises. Buffalo gets a win over Kansas City. Their stock rises. Baltimore gets a win over Kansas City. And no one cared. And I understand there is a hesitancy to take this Baltimore team seriously because we've been burned by them in the past, right? Like we have seen this go poorly. We have seen this not go well with Baltimore in the postseason before. So it is easy to just say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not buying it this time. But Lamar Jackson looks like he has taken a step as a passer now, and I I don't, I still don't know how much I I can buy the rest of his weapons, but I, I think you at least still need to include Baltimore in the conversation for best team in the AFC, even if it is only just, oh, and Baltimore is really good as well. Houston taking on Indianapolis, I bought too much into Houston's defense being league average, they were atrocious all game long, and I I didn't think Indianapolis deserved to be 10-point favorites in this game, I even think it got up to 11 at some point, I'm not buying this for a second from the Indianapolis Colts, but again, for Carson Wentz, and for this Indianapolis Colts offense, and for Indianapolis Colts fans, it's at least good to see that it can go well, because it hasn't so far this season. Kansas City with a big win over Washington, the The, the football team's just done. Like, the, this is that that is just one that I'm going to say I got wrong, because that defense couldn't stop anything, and I get Kansas City is not a team that is easy to stop, but the, the thing that concerned me from a Washington standpoint, they should have had much more success against that Kansas City defense than they did. This game, scoreboard-wise, doesn't look close, and I thought Kansas City actually had a pretty poor game by their standards. There were still turnovers that were too costly, and there were still missed opportunities for Kansas City. I, I thought this was a pretty sloppy performance, and they kicked the shit out of Washington. That that would concern me greatly from a, a Washington standpoint. Rams taking on the Giants. I, I said coming in, I don't know why the Giants. Anyone thought that they had a hope in this game? Uh, when we did the preview on Friday, it was Rams minus nine and a half. By the time it went to to make that uh, make that click on Sunday morning, it was seven and a half, and I just. I don't think Daniel Jones is worth a couple of points, especially against that Rams team. That This was a big brothering performance, and it was kind of a, from the Rams, if you even dream that you have a chance against me, you better wake up and apologize. That's basically what this was. They annihilated them. Minnesota against Carolina was hoping for a bit of clarity on either of these teams. We don't get that at all. Uh, Carolina probably could have won this one going away, but their receivers couldn't make a play to save Sam Darnold at any point. Um, and there, there are a lot of times where, oh, receiver needs to make a play on that one. It's like, well, pass could have been in front of him instead of behind him. That wasn't the case in this one. This was Sam Darnold's weapons letting him down. Uh, and for Minnesota, I continue to to not take them seriously, although apparently they've got the two-minute offense down pretty good, because that, that again, was kind of impressive. Arizona taking on Cleveland, um, we continue to get reminded every week, but this Arizona Cardinals team is for real. That defense, even without Chandler Jones, who was dealing with the COVID thing, I believe, that defense and that pass rush gave Baker Mayfield all kinds of problems, and... I think a lot of times when we look at the the Cleveland backfield and, oh, well, it's, it's 1A, 1B. It's, ah, no, 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 no. It was clear from this game. It is one and two. Nick Chubb, I think, is the best running back in the National Football League and he won't get the credit fantasy that he deserves and he won't get the credit league-wide that I think he deserves because Kareem Hunt is there and they just kind of get pulled together but make no mistake about it, this offense is significantly better with Nick Chubb in the lineup and the, the difference between him and Kareem Hunt is a lot greater than I think people are giving it credit for. It'll be interesting to see what Cleveland does now this week. They got the short week. They played Denver on Thursday night. Baker Mayfield that looked like it could have been a season-ending injury the way he landed on his shoulder and he he came back out there and there was a couple of times like he had the time he looked downfield and then he checked it down. It's like, "Oh, this guy's not right." This that is a throw he would have made. Um other notes for for Cleveland, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. makes an appearance. That's great for for Arizona. That offense is just so good, and Kyler Murray is getting into the part where you're surprised when it doesn't work out for him. So Arizona, I still don't know if I trust to say that they are the top team in the NFC, but they beat the team that I think is, so... Kudos to them. This was one that I was sweating a little bit. Dallas against New England. Uh, Dallas ends up getting the win in overtime. I took Cowboys minus three and a half. And if you'll remember back to Friday's show, I was rather aggressive in making that point. And I would love, I would have loved to come on here and say, oh, yeah, 35 to three covered it with ease my friends uh that was not the case as new england hung around in this game and the issue with new england and i don't know if it's a mac jones thing again i i have stated before i think mac jones was a product of the system out in alabama which is a weird thing to say about a quarterback but i just i don't think he's very good i i don't I don't think he's as good as New England people thought he was going to be when there was predictions of this team making the playoffs or from one rather famous podcaster saying that this was the team that was going to win the Super Bowl. The New England offense, it makes sense for a young quarterback to take a lot of the decision-making out of his hands, just quick boom, short passes, work your way down the field. And I actually think that that can be a model for success. The problem is offenses in this league are so good at putting up points now and the league favors offensive players so much when it comes to the penalties that are called that the way new england runs their offense with a little dink and dunk all the time it has to go perfect for 60 minutes in order for them to be successful and if there is one mistake it's just so much for them to come back from and you saw it in this one the the pick six late ends up being a, a touchdown now. New England does end up getting um getting this one to overtime, and then they just they can't stop the Dallas Cowboys en route to a victory for for Dallas and a cover for me. But it, it's kind of like in boxing where you have a a technical fighter who just like pop pop one two pop pop one two and just like hit and move. You know he's not going to knock him out ever. Going up against a guy who is a knockout artist and the problem is you're going to run into teams that can do both you're going to run into the technical fighters who can also make you look up at the lights for a while and that is kind of what Dallas is. They can dink and dunk if if that's the game you want to play, but also they can put up points real quick and put pressure on you. And it has to go so perfectly for New England. And they made one slip up in this game and it ends up costing them the football game. I, I just, I feel like in today's NFL, there is a time for ball control offense and there's a time where you need to be able to push that ball down the field. And New England gets a break because the defensive back makes a mistake. Um, The the same one who makes the interception, Diggs, makes a mistake in in trying to get an interception. And there are going to be times where that happens. But I just feel like more often than not, New England has to be perfect in order to win the way they are playing. The Raiders against Denver. Good win for the Raiders. Not a perfect one. I I mentioned this. uh, I was watching the the game with a buddy on Sunday. And we were watching on Red Zone because there's a lot going on in the NFL. And... It felt like every time they flashed up the Raiders, they were doing something poorly, but they were still winning this game. I took the under 43 and a half. I think it was like 10-7 at halftime or or something like that. Like this was a low scoring game until the second half and then both sides just went crazy in, in putting up points in this game. But for the Raiders with the week that they had... It could have gone one or two ways, and it definitely went the we are not losing this football game way. That That is a good response from the Raiders, and I think it's a good win for Oklahoma, or for Vegas. Sorry, It is not a perfect win for the Raiders by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a good win for the Raiders. And for Denver, I think we're seeing now, we all knew that 3-0 was a bit of a mirage at the start of the season because of the poor competition that they played, but I still thought this was a team that could threaten for a playoff spot. And by the way, it still probably is. But... This is, I think, a very average football team right now, and I I was expecting more from the defense, uh, to be perfectly honest, and Von Miller needs to step up for that Denver team. I understand that there are some absences right now that are hurting this club, but Denver's offense, again, kind of relies on them to just be perfect in that I think hurts in this game. They're, they're just they are an average team. They, they scream, I guess now. Eight and eight going into the last week of the regular season, then either eight and nine or nine and eight. Seattle taking on Pittsburgh. This was an ugly football game. The debate about whether Pittsburgh can do anything needs to end. That this is it looks awful every single week. And it's worked a couple of times, and they're probably gonna hang around in the AFC because the AFC just isn't all that strong. But when you look at their schedule down the stretch, they have the bye coming up this week. And then there, there's actually even for even for them, uh, there's a couple potential winnable games. Like that, there is there are absolutely going to be stories about hey, can Pittsburgh squeak in while well, the veteran whatever? And Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. They got the Browns coming up um, Sunday afternoon on Halloween. That's pro- we'll see what's going on with Baker, but that's probably a loss for them. Then the schedule the rest of the way, they are home against the Bears and the Lions. That's a couple of wins, and so you look at it there. They're probably going to be at worst five and four. Out of that, there's a potential, there's 6-3, and three, and then there's going to be, oh, here comes the Steelers, crafty veteran, whatever. At Chargers, is going to be a loss. At Bengals, probably going to be a loss. Home Ravens, going to be a loss. At Vikings, I have no idea. And then they close the season, home Titans, at Chiefs, home Browns, at Ravens. I think this is still a team that's going to miss the playoffs. I think it's going to be a team that misses the playoffs rather substantially. And Monday Night Football tonight, Buffalo taking on... Tennessee the injuries to the Titans receivers continues to be an issue. I continue to think it's not going to matter. I think Buffalo is maybe the best team in the NFL right now and certainly the best team in the AFC. So there is your NFL rundown on this Monday. Taking a look at what's going on in the Canadian Football League right now. Only 3 games but still a busy weekend and the the main story for me in the CFL over the last few weeks is the Calgary Stampeders like a Phoenix rising from the ashes. This is one of those like action movie, thriller movie, whatever, where you think you've killed like the big boss or the the big monster and then just as, the, as we're about to go to the next scene, its eyes open up again. That's the Stampeders. The CFL West had an opportunity to make sure that monster was all the way dead, and they were not able to do it. And now, the Stamps are definitely one of those teams that's one of those, oh, don't want to face them in the playoffs. I... They have a massive game coming up with Saskatchewan here um, next week. The the third in a row for the Riders against the Calgary Stampeders. Calgary's probably going to be the favorite in that game. This little stretch here for the Stampeders has completely revitalized this Stampeders team. And I remember a few weeks ago when Craig Dickinson said, this is our toughest test of the season. Mocking that greatly, and now it's oh shit. Yep, it might be. And if I'm the, I I still think Winnipeg is the best team in the league. I have said that for a while now. But if I am Winnipeg, I am not thrilled about the potential of facing Calgary in the West Division final. It'll be in Winnipeg, but this is a Stampeders team that looked dead and gone, and now look like the favorites to host a playoff game, and it just. the the West had their opportunity to put them away and put them in the Edmonton category. And you see what panic is going on in Edmonton right now. The, the, The Riders specifically had an opportunity to put the stamps in that bucket and didn't do it, and now I think the rest of the CFL is going to pay for it, because this Stamps team kind of seems for real now. Just a little bit further up the QE2 in Edmonton, an era ends as Trevor Harris is on his way to the Montreal Alouettes in a move that happened late Sunday night. And it's obvious that it went bad, in Edmonton, and there's been a lot going on, and I, I have been very critical of Brock Sunderland. I didn't think it was trade the quarterback for nothing bad, though. That This is a head-scratching decision for me, because if if there was a young quarterback who was on the rise that um, Harris was potentially taking a spot from, then okay, maybe maybe this makes a little bit more sense. I, I can at least squint and see it. Like, if there was a Nick Arbuckle coming up along the way, then, then maybe you can see it. I don't think Harris was the problem in Edmonton, I certainly don't think he was a major part of what could have been the solution, but I think this is a full team effort, and to me, this is Brock Sunderland, like, signing his um, termination papers at the end of the season, and we all know on this show, that's not gonna break my heart any, but... I I think it's really interesting that he makes this move with no backup plan. And look, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Edmonton. We understand this with Trevor Harris. He's not exactly handing out brochures in the locker room talking about the benefits of vaccinations. And that's going to become an issue when travel starts to be a thing. Now, Edmonton had the luxury of playing themselves out of any concerns of that throughout this season. But... I didn't, th- I didn't think it had got this bad, where you just needed to get him out of there. That was a bit of a surprise for me. For Montreal, I think it makes a bit of sense. This is a team that has greater than just make-the-playoff aspirations, and losing Vernon Adams sucks. But this is a good football team in a good division now, in the East, it's not just going to... You can't just get by with just backup quarterback, whatever, for a couple of weeks. You're going to get crossovered in the, if that happens. Because there are four legit teams in the West Division. But I've said before, the crossover is not a guarantee in the CFL this season. I think Montreal has just as mu- much of a chance to be playing in that East Division semifinal as the BC Lions do, which is a hilarious sentence to say out loud. But thus the Canadian Football League. But... I think it makes some sense for Montreal, and you just kind of hope that you have a locker room that whatever extra is going on with Harris in Edmonton, you hope you have a locker room that can withstand that. So an interesting week in the Canadian Football League, to say the least. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. And you can find their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. they got some new stuff. Check it out now. A few quick notes here before we head out. Major League Baseball's postseason didn't get a chance to talk about the check swing awfulness that happened Thursday night as the San Francisco Giants and LA Dodgers played in one of the best baseball games you will see. And this is the beauty of playoff baseball. And this is why I, I get, like, that game was awesome to a certain subset of people that I fall into. You, to market the sport as, hey, look, it's 2-1 baseball games. It's going to be great all the way around. Um, that's, that, that, that's probably going to lose some people and may have lost some people. But I also don't think that, you needed to go so far the other way that it is the the three true outcomes that we see in baseball right now. The excitement in this game uh, comes with the drama of there being a couple of runners-on and balls being put in play and things like that. Like, this was just an excellent, excellent baseball game. But it ends with a check swing at the end. And it, it is one of the most anticlimactic ends to a classic game in the history of of sports and it is too bad because that is a classic series and a classic game and this had the potential being a classic moment and instead it's going to be a classic moment for all the wrong reasons and I saw people calling for robot umpires this is going to be this would be the trickiest of ones to solve with robot umpires but I do think we are getting kind of closer to a, a time where this at least could be figured out and it's interesting that this is the rule that kind of does it. Cause we've, we've had video replay in baseball for a while. And I've talked about before the unintended consequences that we have seen with major league baseball, with the video review where we're looking to see if a guy's cleat is on the base still, or, or something like that, like that, that kind of stuff really sucks the life out of a game. And I'm sure if we were to look at check swings, th- there would be some form of unintended consequence, but that rule has never been defined like they have, yeah, they go around halfway and maybe not. And, no one ever has any idea what the umpire is going to go with on a a check swing and having been an umpire in uh, significantly lesser situations than that it's kind of tricky to tell you're just kind of like yeah i don't know it looked like he wanted to swing i i don't know how to fix it but that was a major problem and it's probably one like in a few weeks it's it only comes up a few times a year it's probably not that big of a deal, but it just sucked to have that game end that way. And for the Giants, I can't imagine being a Giants fan. That is going to be the one that got away for forever because you don't know how much longer or how many more Magic seasons you are going to get like that to have it end in such heartbreaking fashion. In in one sense, it kind of adds to the mystique and adds to the legend of this team. But on the other hand, it super sucks. Now in the National League Championship Series... All of a sudden, the Atlanta Braves are just an unstoppable juggernaut of walk-off wins. They take a 2-0 series lead, holding serve at home. And the fact that the Braves have a field advantage in this does kind of bother me a little bit. I, I get you want to reward winning a division, but I think the, the reward for winning a division stops when you don't have to play the one-game wild card. Like, I think that's, that's probably reward enough to, to now make the Dodgers have... Uh, to, to now make the Dodgers be the road team the rest of the way, that that feels a little bit icky to me. I, I don't appreciate that one. So I, I hope that that is something that gets figured out going forward. But still, credit the Atlanta Braves. Those are two huge wins. And we continue to be amazed by the Braves and what they have been able to do this year. Tonight, it is the Red Sox and the Astros in Game 3 of that series as it heads back to Fenway. In the NBA, Jaron Jackson Jr. signs a four-year, $105 million contract with the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think he is like one of the swing players in the NBA this season. Memphis takes that step last year. And they they get into the play-in game, they win that in impressive fashion, and they make their way into the, the, the postseason, and they don't exactly go quietly into the Dark night, but they they put up a fight, at least. And now this offseason, I really haven't liked what they have done. I, I thought Jonas Valanciunas was a great fit for that team. You bring in Steven Adams, who I'm not the biggest fan of, um... And, and so I, I feel like that is a bit of a step back. But the huge step forward that this team could take could be if Jaron Jackson Jr. plays up to just this contract. If he is just $20 million a year good, then this Memphis team is going to be a problem in what is already a very good Western conference in the NBA. And again, I don't know if this is going to be a team that threatens the Lakers or anyone for a, a playoff spot or anything like that, but they're going to be good enough that they can make some noise in the West this year. And if, if if Triple J can take that step forward, Memphis is real interesting, especially when we saw him mix in a couple of longer shots this year. If he can be kind of that, uh, sorry, last year in the postseason, if he can kind of be that stretch four guy, then this team becomes a problem. He only shot... Oh, I thought he was actually better than that. Sorry. In the postseason, he was only 28% from three, um, and he shoots 28% from three in the regular season. A career 37% three-point shooter. If he is around 35, 37% from three, that that adds an interesting wrinkle to this team that really didn't have anything going from beyond the arc last season. That's not John Moran's game. Um, Dylan Brooks showed it at times he could do it, but I I just I really like how this Memphis team is put together. They scream one of those like league pass all-stars to me. And so I'm 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 interested to see what Triple J can can do. Because if if he is as good as this contract says he is, then I, I think there's going to be a very good team missing out on the playoffs last year because or this year because Memphis goes out and does the damn thing. I, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, in the WNBA, Candace Parker gets her Chicago title moment. She. Um, Joins Chicago in the offseason and this was, I mean, obviously best case scenario, they won a championship, but this is one of the cooler spories, uh, stories to have her go back home and like one of the defining players of this era to to win a championship now in Chicago. A real cool moment. And it was great to see the fan support in both Phoenix and Chicago for the WNBA. It feels like, again, the WNBA has a lot of momentum now going into their offseason. And you just hope that they're able to, to keep it up now because this definitely feels like a, a league on the rise. And Candace Parker doing that in Chicago got a lot of people's attention. The game two that goes uh, went to overtime. Um, I think they topped out at 1 million viewers. Like that, this is this is no longer uh, no one cares. People are caring about the WNBA, and uh, I will admit that that was a blind spot for this show this year. I I was hoping to talk more about it, and just every week there was a bunch of other stuff, and I, I didn't get to the WNBA, and that is a miss on my part. But I I am already excited and intrigued to see what next season can bring. And quickly, uh, English Premier League. Manchester United with a loss to Leicester City 4-2 in what was a wild, dramatic finish down the stretch. And this was my main concern with some of the hype around Man United after Cristiano Ronaldo comes in. I thought Ronaldo made them go from being a pretty good offensive team that still has some struggles on the other side of the ball to a pretty fun offensive team that has struggles on the other side of the ball. Like, there's definitely more creativity now with Man United because Cristiano Ronaldo is there, but it still does not solve for the fact, and did not solve for the fact, that this team has trouble defending. And I think that's going to be a big problem as they go through this insane stretch that they are going through between the Champions League and the the English Premier League. I I think a lot of questions are going to be answered about Man United, and I don't think Man United fans are going to like all of the answers. (laughs) Very pleased to be joined by our next guest. I have been trying to set this up for a while and uh, had a wonderful game of phone tag going for a bit, but finally have Kelly Rudy on the show, studio analyst for Hockey Night in Canada, uh, the color commentator for the Calgary Flames, also a 17-year National Hockey League career. So uh, quite the lengthy
1: resume, Uh, Mr. Rudy. How are you today? I'm doing well, Peter. Thank you. That's a very nice introduction. I think you uh, uh, were very kind to me. Thank you. Well, hey, it,
0: it's, you're an easy person to be kind to. Um, quickly, before we get into some of the other stuff, I was looking at it. Like I said, 17-year NHL career, and we're coming up on uh, about 15 years as a, a broadcaster. Are, are you ready to, to have been a broadcaster longer than you were an NHL player?
1: Well, actually, um, my playing days, yes, were 17, 17 years. In fact, 15 in the NHL and two in the minors. So just mm. a small little correction there. But uh, my, I'm coming into, I believe, my 23rd year. My wife and I were talking about it last night. We we're having a glass of wine. And hard to believe I'm uh, 23 years into my professional broadcasting career. That's full time, Peter. I had... Four years as an NHL player. My last four years, I ended up broadcasting uh, in the playoffs. If my team didn't make the playoffs, or if we lost in the fourth or first round, so that was a a unique start. I did two years when I was an LA King, and two years uh, as a San Jose Shark. So once the season would end, I would go to Toronto and uh, alternate with uh, Don Cherry, Ron McLean, uh, and I, and then it'd be the next night, of course, it'd be Ron and Don, and on and off. So it was a, a real interesting start for my broadcasting career and sort of learn, uh, I guess, uh, about that industry and if I might want to do it uh, once my official playing days came to an end.
0: That, that's interesting. And I've always wondered about this, but what, like when I was doing broadcasting uh, professionally, um, oh, it, it, always <laughs> me, uh, it always helped me. It always helped me to train other people in it. And, and you kind of like see, okay, this is some of the stuff I should be actually doing. Um, and <laughs> you, you kind of realize like what you've been lazy on and stuff like that. Um, as a player to, to go and then analyze other players doing the thing that you do. Did, did that help your perspective in any way um, and, and kind of help your game out in the, the last four years of your career?
1: Oh, 100%. There's no question about it. I I used it, uh, you know, as a tool, really. And one of the things that I really tried to do, in particular, my four years when I was still playing, was uh, sort of get a book on everybody. So even if I wasn't playing, I'd be on the bench, and I was making notes, I would do that always throughout my career but I did it more specifically sort of as a broadcaster mind uh, and it was really really helpful for me and uh, but it was also it put me in some awkward spots I I have to tell you because there were a couple of situations at least two or more where I said something as a broadcaster while I was still an NHL player that I thought it might get me in trouble Uh, I remember one incident I didn't like something Matthew Barnaby had done and so Ron McLean and I were. talking about that uh, on the air. And I thought I went pretty hard at uh, Matthew. And then the very first time we played each other n- the next year, I was I was quite afraid, actually, that he might do something to me or um, that it might come to a head. And uh, luckily for me, it, he didn't say anything. Maybe he didn't hear it. Uh, I kind of suspect he did, because usually when you say something about a player, uh, it usually gets back to them. So, yeah, there's, there's all these little things uh, tools that you use and uh, you're exactly right about uh, you know you've got to put in the work This this broadcasting thing is it's not physically demanding like my old job but it's certainly way more hours and you've got to put in the, the time otherwise people can see through you right if, if you haven't done your homework.
0: Right, yeah, and especially like hockey fans now have so much information and everything. Um, yeah. I yeah, I, they, I remember I, I would have to t- we we had the text line at nine sixty. I would have to turn it off because I knew I would say something that someone would correct me on. Um, and yeah, hockey fans now it's crazy right? how much they
1: pay attention to yeah. everything now. Well, and even if they're not correcting you, which they can, of course, but uh, we can all see things differently, right? Uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I like about the broadcasting gig is that we all see you know, players and uh, situations differently. And and that reminded me so much of my playing days. So we'd go, if we had a day off on the road and a bunch of us would go out for dinner the night before a game, we'd chat about the, the team we're playing or maybe the team we just finished playing. And we'd all have a different opinion on uh, certain players and, and broadcasting is no different, right? And that's why the audience, where if it's a, a TV viewer or a listener on radio, we all just sort of see it a little bit differently and we have our own opinions and that's very healthy.
0: Uh, there's a few things I want to touch on, uh, while, while I have you here today. Uh, and the, the first one here, we'll start with the serious stuff and then have uh, a bit more fun towards the end. All right. Um, like it. um, uh, you, have become one of the prominent voices for, for mental health, um, in this city, in the country, and certainly in the, the sport of hockey. Uh, so before we get into a, a bit more of the specifics, I guess, just, just explain to people why this was a, a cause that was so important
1: to, to you to speak out on. Well, Because uh, it started with our daughter, Caitlin. So in the summer of 2004, um, we noticed that Caitlin uh, was going through some things. We actually noticed Peter is before that, but uh, we were unaware of uh, mental health. We didn't really understand it. We didn't know to look out for it. Uh, we didn't know, in Caitlin's case, that trouble was lurking. Uh, and so there are plenty of signs that we completely missed. Uh, I chalked them up to just quirky little habits, which was uh, completely uh, off the mark. And so um, when we finally recognized, I guess in the summer of 2005, that life was completely unmanageable for. Caitlin and we had to get professional help for her um and then so we went through that entire process um and then she had she got much better uh I think you know Peter she had she and her husband have that clothing line More moregooddaysclothing.com and uh, that the genesis of that clothing line and that that slogan is that uh after four years of extensive therapy she came to us and said something like hey mom dad Uh, Just to let you know, I'm starting to have more good days than bad. And that's quite a profound comment, right? And Mm -hmm. so um, after uh, going through that, and then she had a a real bad setback in the year of 2012, where she tried to go to university away from uh, the city of Calgary, and she unfortunately couldn't do it, had to come home. And then she was uh, continuing to get plenty of help again. Um, and then I had a publicist at CBC that knew our story, and he thought if we were able to, to do it, in particular Caitlin, of course, uh, that it might be helpful for, for people if uh, she shared her journey, and I, I brought that to her attention, and and so she was up for that, and uh, so she went national, uh, the public, or National Post and the Canadian Press ran two different stories, and they were both incredible, um, and But I I did warn her, Peter, because this is such a sensitive topic that I was really scared about social media. Now, having said that, that was 2013, right? And so social media was not the animal that it can be now. And uh, much to my surprise, I'm happy to report, and so for the people listening to this, that uh, she she only was, uh, uh, it was so heartwarming. She only felt the love of people. Like nobody came after her. she had no negative comments uh, and nobody tried to bully her and all that kind of stuff. So that was really nice to, to see. Uh, And then uh, my own personal journey uh, started, I, when I look back on my career, I, you know, I was writing my book back in 2018, I think it is, and with Kirstie McClellan Day. And uh, my the last chapter I shared with Kirstie is my own personal mental health, uh, what I called was an episode, which I didn't recognize until many years later, it was the year of 1992-93, the year we, the LA Kings, went to the Stanley Cup final. But there was a two-month stretch there where I was uh, really, really struggling with my mental health. And it my thoughts, Peter, were not Irrational to start with. You know, it's a rational thought to. I was going into my 10th year. The average career is about three and a half years, right? So most people don't understand that. Uh, and so my brain was telling me that summer that, oh boy, how much longer can you stay at this level? And, you know, all those rational questions. But then my brain took it to a different level. And then it became a source of, uh, I can't do this anymore. And I, I started to get the loop in my brain. I didn't understand about the loop. I didn't understand how to break the loop. And so I was able through professional help. My coach Barry Melrose uh, recognized I needed some help and it wasn't physical. It was mental. And so he, uh, he uh, set me up with a guy by the name of Tony Robbins. And Tony and I worked one-on-one for uh, a, a while. And that was, uh, that turned my career around. And I, I always tell Barry how grateful I am for setting that meeting up uh, with, with Tony. And, and then in the summer of 2019, it all came back, Peter. I unsuspectingly, I had no idea that uh, these thoughts were going to come back in a very similar way. And uh, I couldn't manage them properly. So I had to go get help. And I'm happy to tell you that I'm doing much better, although I still have moments where or times, days where it hits me and I have just got to put in the work.
0: I'm, I'm happy to hear that it, it certainly ha- has turned around there. Um, and thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, and it's it's something that I think a lot of people, and especially like you said, um, back when you were dealing with this the first time, it's something that has evolved in the last little while, but I don't think people who are going through it understand like how not alone we, we are when we are dealing with these. And I, I've, yeah. I, I try to express that. And that's why when I was on the right. radio out here, I, I was like, Hey, this is, this is something I've dealt with. And um, like yeah. you said, everyone, I, I, I went on the radio twice to talk about it. And every time everyone was nice except for one text I got out of twice, which was like a couple of hundred. Really? And I, I still remember that one, which says a lot about it, but it, it is, it is showing like how accepting people are of these types of things.
1: I totally agree. And and yet we still have a long ways to go. I'm, right. I'm so uh, happy for the progress that we as society have made in having this discussion. I don't think that two grown men like you and i would have been having this discussion seven years ago 10 years ago for sure we we would have not had this chat but uh happy to say that i'm really looking forward to the the next five years or so because the progress we've had in having this conversation right it's not a it's not a uncomfortable chat anymore we're out in the open and we share and by the way i did hear one of your uh uh stories on the radio very moving and the heartfelt and i i Thank you also for sharing. Um, But there still is work to to do. Like I I remember I was listening on the radio the day that Carey Price, the announcement that he went into the player assistance program and people can't get over the fact that because you make a lot of money that you might have issues, right? That uh, just, there's there's no correlation between having money and being well, right? Like it's just, you can have issues, it doesn't matter. One of the examples I use is, a guy that I uh, really respect. And that's Bruce Springsteen. He's got all the money in the world. And yet he, he shares his story openly about the troubles he's had. So uh, I think the more we chat about it and make it uh, normal, uh, the better off. And by the way, this is really important for me, Peter. um, And I've said this also about uh, Caitlin, uh, when she shares her story, there's, if you if you're going through something and you feel like sharing great, but there's no obligation to do so. Right. Like not everybody can do it. And the only thing I would ask is if you are going through something, get the help you need because it's too lonely and too painful to do it yourself. But again, there is no obligation. If you get help that now all of a sudden you have to share with everybody that that's not the point we're trying to make or that any of us are trying to make, because your story is your story. And if you have the, uh interest in sharing great if not that's great also
0: yeah no and i i I very much understood i I was uniquely qualified as kind of talking is my jam so that's it it was easier for me yeah it it was easier for me to to share that but i certainly understand um others who don't you mentioned the the progress that has been made and where we're going um how how do you think individual teams now uh specifically at the the national hockey league level how, how do you think nhl teams can kind of help this progress along
1: Oh, yeah, you're so right. And that's what uh, is also really great that uh, all teams, not just some, all teams have people in that field that uh, um, they're on call 24 hours a day for the players uh, and whatever they might need. Now, there is a little bit of work to do, as I think all of us know, some of maybe the younger players uh, not I'm generalizing here, but some of the younger players, I think, are maybe more uh, interested in seeking out that help and maybe sharing a few older players uh, around the league. So, I'm again, I'm not just saying it's uh, with my time around the Calgary Flames, but uh, just traveling a lot uh, before the pandemic that there were a couple of older players when we'd have this chat that they'd say they're not comfortable uh, going to a uh, psychologist that might be affiliated with their team because they still have that old school feeling that it might be used against them in some way, which I, I disagree with and I, I, I didn't agree with their take, but uh, that is their personal feeling. So I think that uh, the more we talk about this, the more comfortable everybody will be uh, in sharing uh, if they need to.
0: My my last one here before we we move on to the the Calgary Flames um, from from an sure. analyst perspective and this was something that I uh, like to to this exact moment in time I I still ha- have some issues with when ta- like we're we're analyzing players and, and we can't just be oh that guy's great well that guy's great oh and that guy's great too like there there does have to be. Right a bit of a a critical nature to some of the things that we talk about. And I remember when I um, first kind of talked about what I was going through, someone texted in and said, I'm so sorry for for any time I've criticized you. And I was like, that's, that's not the point. I still, I still need to be criticized. I'm not perfect all the time. I'm close, but, um, (laughs) um, and one of the ones that really got me most recently, I, I don't know how much attention you pay to basketball, but Ben Simmons just, lost it in the NBA final or in the NBA playoffs. Like he, he shot seven times in seven games in the fourth quarters. And there was one time he was yeah. under the basket and had a yeah. chance at a layup that he's made probably literally a million times in his life. And he he right. passed the ball away. Like there was clearly something up top that was just gone for him. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I had trouble with that. Cause on the one hand, like I, I know not at that level, but I know what that feeling is like, where it is just everything has just spiraled on you. But at the same time, it was abundantly clear he cost his team an opportunity at potentially a championship. And from an analyst perspective, I didn't know how to balance that. Um, And so this is a a difficult question, probably to to ask of you, but you were on national television a lot of nights of the year and this is now a new layer of things. How how have you kind of worked through that, that minefield of like, Hey, there could be something going on with this person that we don't really know about.
1: You know, Peter, that's such a great uh, topic, and I haven't worked through it yet. I'm, I'm still navigating uh, that those waters. I I wrestle with it. I have been wrestling with that very point um, for years now, um, when I, I really started to understand uh, more about mental health. Uh, and by the way, we have really studied this, my entire family, because of uh, not only Caitlin, but other people that we love that are going through things, and, uh, and myself. And I uh, I don't know, uh, exactly how to, to do it yet. I'm, I'm, I struggle with that because you're exactly right. I'm on national television and I can't just say everything is perfect, every single game. And I have to maybe pick apart plays or comment on particular players, not knowing fully what they're going through. And so, um, I suspect, uh, many times over the course of my career, when I have, uh, Um, singled out a person that they were going through something. And the one player that definitely stands out to me was when Patrick O'Sullivan was playing with the Oilers. And I believe I criticized his work ethic if I'm not uh, wrong or mistaken. Um, And I was to find out later that I didn't recognize he had a whole bunch of uh, issues going on in his life and hockey. I don't think I can't speak for him, but I don't think hockey was his number one priority. Um, And so, I felt badly about that, but you will un- undoubtedly make that mistake because we don't know enough about every player, right? We don't know what they're going through. But um, I think that my job uh, still, uh, I guess, to a certain degree, forces me to say things, and I may uh, be offside, but I, I got to try and reconcile that to, with my own head.
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky. And I yeah, I, I have trouble with that, too. Someone it caught me one time on the text line, I was talking about how someone like it just it didn't seem like they were the same person it said, well, maybe it's a mental health thing. It's like, I have no response right. to that. So you, you could very much be right on that one. It's it's certainly now tricky. the
1: other thing is, yeah, it is. Now, the other thing is, you don't want to do that thing. Also, you don't want to speculate about somebody's health, right? right? You it's like, as a for a regular injury we as broadcasters are taught don't guess right even though it may look obvious to us um, but you're you're never supposed to guess what a potential injury may be and so we wouldn't want to do that with mental health either just always defer to okay well he's really struggling right now clearly as mental health that may not be the case he may just be struggling right now
0: right um transitioning now to the the Calgary Flames uh we we are one game into their season um as they have done for the last several they lost the first game of the season um I was at Sportsnet 960 for 10 years I did not ever get to say in an update the Flames won their first game of the year today uh so that was it's it's quite the the trend they have going but um a tough opposition obviously on Saturday with the Edmonton Oilers I, I guess your thoughts on on Calgary's maiden voyage for the 2021
1: season I didn't think it was a bad start. They lost the game, of course, but I thought that there were a lot of really good things. I thought their work ethic was uh, strong. Um, There are plenty of things that uh, uh, I I liked. Um, That doesn't ever mean that you're pleased with a loss, but uh, there are some losses that uh, you're uh, more accepting of, and I think that was one of them. You still, you know, you want to see more growth again in today's game and uh, moving forward to Detroit on Thursday. Um, And so I think it's a team, though, that all of us that watch them on a regular basis know that uh, there's no question about it. They really, really, really underachieved last year and no excuses. Um, I don't think the pandemic helped. And, uh, again, I think that that's just a reality. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people in the industry and they've all said the same thing about how difficult the season was mentally. I, I was, uh, you know, to learn that the season was difficult, more so for young players, because, uh, as you know, all the restrictions on the players, uh, uh, not only in the bubble, that was really, really difficult. But to the last season, they could go home, of course. But if you were a young player and you didn't have a partner to go home to, you were by yourself. And, uh, you know, maybe if you're in a relationship and you might even have children, that would help alleviate some of the stress uh, and the loneliness that you felt. Carter Hart, I thought, did a wonderful job of sharing uh, his troubles last year. It wasn't just the play. It was mentally. He would, he talked a great length about it. You know, after a practice or a game, he'd go home and he's by himself. And, that is no way to live life. We're, we're, social people, right? We're social beings and we mm-hmm. need to be around people. We need interaction. And, and so when I, I thought of it that way, I put it in, in its proper perspective and thought, wow, that would be so difficult. Like, you know, I, I know from, for myself, I'd come home after a game and, uh I have a chance to chat with my wife or you know there are times where we could get together with our kids and I see our grandchildren and and so that was helpful i know i'm way off topic here but it is it is food for thought when you think about the upcoming season how much more normal it'll be for these guys
0: Right yeah and it's it's not that off topic because it was like the big factor over everything last year um and like uh, as we've talked about different players handle different things in in different situations and we're all wired to to handle things differently um the, the right. big question i've had for the flames this year is where where does where does the improvement come from because as you mentioned last year uh, was uh, a disappointing year and they lose Mark Giordano and a, a couple of new guys come in, but I, I don't know if any of them are to the stature of a, a Mark Giordano. So my, my biggest question for the Flames is where, where is the better coming from? And maybe it is just this year is a bit more normal, but but for you, when you look at this version of the Calgary Flames, where, where, where is the improvement coming
1: from compared to last year? Okay. So Peter, to me, it, it really is about individually um you know collectively i think the the team will have way more success if individually everybody plays to their potential now you you know potential is an interesting thing because you're not going to be uh at that level every single game when you play 82 games but what you want to try and do is be as consistent as possible and be as at high a level as possible so that's, to me, the biggest thing for the Flames going into the season. There's, there, I don't think there's a player on that team other than perhaps Chris Taneb that can say that they had a good year last year. Uh, some other guys play better than others, but uh, individually, I think they can all be better. And I think for that reason, they as a team will be better. What type of
0: uh, an impact do you think Daryl will have on that? Obviously, he comes in in the middle of last year, and it's tough to make wholesale changes again, especially with, as we talked about before, everything that was going on in the world at that time. Uh, It's tough to add one more change to that. So I guess, how how do you think Daryl will help that now that he has a full year with this group?
1: Well, he's going to grab their attention early. There's no question about that. I had Daryl my last year in San Jose, and uh, he takes charge of the dressing room now. You can also argue that, Maybe that's good or that's uh, not the way it should be, that the players should take ownership of the dressing room, right? But I think this group, they need that sort of push. And so that's where I see uh, Daryl's help.
0: Um, looking at the, the, the league uh, just in general, um, th- this is obviously a new era down south with, with ESPN getting the deal and, and TNT. Uh, and it just feels like it's a, a really good time in the National Hockey League. You, you focus on the Flames, but also nationally every week on Hockey Night in Canada. Well, when you look around the league, do you think this is a league that's in a, a good spot right now? 100%.
1: I, I just, I'm, it's very, very exciting where they're going. Uh, Again, you talked about the new TV deals and uh, the exposure and having Gretzky on there, uh, Messier, Chelios. I I just think that the, the game is in a really great spot. Uh, it certainly helps when uh, teams uh, like Tampa and now Florida looks like they're turning the corner and they're going to be a good team. Uh, when when places like that have good teams, it really grows the game. And that's one of the things that for me, Peter, over the years has been so exciting because when I went to Southern California, when I was traded there in 89, I could be mistaken. I could be off just a little bit, but I don't think I'm off by that much uh, to me. Uh, I only knew of two arenas in the LA area. That's where we practiced. There was a place called the Culver City Ice Rink. Uh, It was terrible. It was a dump, but that's where we practiced. And then we had the Great Western Forum where we played out of in San Diego. And San Diego has quite a rich hockey history. Um, I only knew of their sports arena. Um, They could have had others, but I don't think they had many other ice sheets. Now, I did a project. Jeepers, this is quite a few years ago, uh, seven, eight years ago, could could even be longer. And I tried to count how many arenas there were in Southern Cal. And uh, I think I came up with uh, something like 50 some uh, buildings and some of them with many or multiple sheets of ice. So that's, you know, when I look at the game of hockey, I look at it at the nhl level but also at the grassroots level and how it's really changed and it truly is a worldwide sport now and i think that is uh, something that uh, for all of us that are, work in this industry is super exciting
0: well and, and i get like as as canadians we tend to to clutch the the game a little bit close but like i, I don't know mm-hmm. if enough is made that one of the best players in the world right now is from
1: arizona that that, that was yeah. unthinkable 20 years ago so true peter and that's exactly what i'm talking about. That. Yeah, and you are right. We Canadians take uh, a lot of pride in the game, but I think for the for the good of the game, uh, we need this to be a global game, and that mm-hmm. uh, Canada shouldn't win every Olympic gold, and it shouldn't win every World Championship, and and uh, there should be other teams in the mix so that it's not just a three country, uh, uh, you know, the the top teams just don't come from three countries. We need uh, this game to grow. You you know, you look at uh, worldwide. Uh, you look at uh, Dreisaitl and uh, the Germans that are now uh, coming into the game, and that's fantastic, and, and many other countries. I'm leaving a ton out, but – you get my point about how this is very important for our growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, two more for you, and thank you very much for for being so generous with your time. My pleasure. Uh, the uh, the first uh, Calgary Flames. Um, it, it is the the home opener tonight. Um, it, it was a, a weird start to the season for the Flames because you get the last preseason game, and then everyone just kind of has to to sit around and and wait for a week. But the Anaheim Ducks are coming to town, and that is an organization that, for whatever reason, the Flames have had a heck of a time trying to beat and so I wonder in your career for one reason or another where there was there one team that was just like <laughs> I don't know what it is about this team or this place or this rink or that uh, vendor over there that there is something about this that is just stuck with me
1: 100% I think every player will tell you that that there's uh, one team uh, that you just struggle against uh, I bet there's only one or two guys on the planet that can tell you that's not the case. And I think uh, I played with one guy for eight years and that's Wayne Gretzky. I don't think there are many teams that he struggled against, but mine happened to be the Boston Bruins. I just, I, I, for whatever reason, I have no idea, but uh, I guess to a certain degree, I started to think about it maybe a little bit in my head, but I struggled with them. I don't know what my record would have been. uh, But I loved the Boston Gardens, that old building. And I, I played in the new one as well uh, my last year or two, I think. Um, and I have no idea because typically those old buildings like the, the Boston Garden or Chicago Stadium or uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, Montreal Forum, St. Louis, that old building. Um, I love those buildings. I typically played well in there, but the Boston Garden, I just could not play well in there. I know I got pulled a bunch of times. I think my best start there might have been a, a tie. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I could never figure it out, though, because I, I, it wasn't because there was a small building and they were a really competitive, hard team to play against. For whatever reason, uh, I just didn't play well in that building, and that it, it still sticks with me, as you can tell.
0: Yeah, no, that, and the, you came up with that one right away. So it's, it's still yep. something that is there. Um, yep. the, the last one for you, and we talked about the, the resume at the, the start, uh, a lengthy career. You, you corrected me on my math, uh, which I, <laughs> I, I thank you for that. But uh, a, a long career as a, a professional hockey player and a long career as a broadcaster at a national level. Uh, and when I told my wife, who's relatively new to the sports thing, um, that I was interviewing you, she said, oh, the button guy. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so first of all, uh, a credit to you for handling that as well as you did, because I've I've worked around a lot of people who would not have been as okay with that getting pointed out as you were. But I, I do need to know who sent you the best chirp about that, because I am sure you heard about it for a while and are still hearing about it now, uh, thanks to me. So, uh, who who kind of got you the best after that whole uh, thing played out?
1: Actually, I, I don't remember. Um, I, I will tell you this: the the reaction, kind of similar to yours, is that uh, most of the, the people that got a hold of me, it was all positive. Like it was like not many people would have handled it that way. Now I'll tell you this, I'll give you the behind the scenes that was not going to go to air, but Mm. that was about 20 or 30 seconds before we went to air. Uh, Rick and I were standing in our spot, getting ready to do our hit and, uh, and it was a live hit. So the button popped off and. Um, but it was recorded in our production truck. But the problem was the flames, it was in the second intermission. The flames were losing badly at home. I'm going to say something like six to two. So they're getting smoked. It was a really terrible game by the flames. And, and I couldn't stop laughing. And Rick, (laughs) Rick got it together and he sort of composed himself. But now we go live to air and I am, out of sorts. I just cannot stop laughing. And, and so it would have looked horrible, right? The flames are getting smoked at home six, two, and I'm having the time of my life. Right. (laughs) And so our producer, Scott Lennox decided to throw it in there. Now uh, that I think that was the right move under the circumstances. Now it's kind of like you, Peter, you've been in the situation where you've done something, maybe you said something uh, stupid or something, and you cannot stop laughing. That's just, I, I don't know. I just I think I learned that from Ron McLean. You make a mistake and it's funny, right? You just yeah. try and handle it that way. So one of the very first year the Vegas Golden Knights were in the league, Rick and I are there for the first game that the play, Flames are playing in uh, Vegas, and I'm in the booth and we're about four minutes in and I called them the Vegas Golden Nuts, and <laughs> and and again I could not stop laughing. So Rick basically called the game by himself for the rest of the first period because i'm on my cough button laughing like hysterically and i couldn't push my talk back uh, to the production truck because that would have been disruptive to the crew so basically i just had my finger on my cough button the entire rest of the first period and then able to regain myself in the first intermission but you do things like that right that you just they are mistakes and you can't help it and you just got to live with it
0: well and and that's uh, I think one of the reasons why people kind of to gravitate to on-air personalities is like we're humans right like that, that was yeah. I was on the morning show for a little bit and, and those uh, say a lot about those guys far from perfect human beings uh, those gentlemen <laughs> and, and they just they embrace that and it's just it, it's this great thing and you, you have to, if right. you're pardon the pun for this if you're just a buttoned up robot it, it's, yeah. not, it, it, it's not it's not going to resonate but any type of personality
1: and, and people are going to love you for it. 100%. And that's the thing I always tell people that uh, they might want to get into uh, broadcasting. You've got to be you. You've got to be authentic, right? And that's, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can't be, you can't try and be some other broadcaster that maybe you admired growing up. You've got to be you because I've always said, I've always worked on television, but I've always said the camera can spot a phony in a second, right? It just does. And so you've got to be real.
0: Well, and it reminded, it actually brought a memory for me. Um, It wasn't on air, but we did a lot on the air for uh, my wedding. And we got married out in Canmore. And one of the things we did was... Uh, I was extremely lucky to get a a fitted suit or a a tailored suit from uh, Supreme menswear. And it was, I
1: remember that
0: it was stunning. And it's, I still have it here and everything was perfect. But the the one issue with uh, things being tailored is that you kind of got to stay that size, that there isn't really room for, (laughs) there isn't room for aggressive expansion. And the night before my wedding, we decided at 1230 that we all needed pizzas. And so I put the suit on the next morning and poof, gone uh no way yeah luckily aaron from supreme i still don't know why but for some reason he drove out to canmore to help me with everything and i was like so uh there's not a button where there should be a button he knew a guy went got the thing put together and then met us he beat me to the venue um with the suit and so that uh that 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 brought not many times um will will you remind me of my wedding day uh but that that certainly (laughs) that, that certainly was was quite the reminder
1: i love it peter that's a great story (laughs)
0: um okay so fun stuff to end on uh kelly thank you very much for for doing this uh enjoy the game tonight and i'm i'm sure i'll be bothering you again
1: at some point this season you got it thanks peter this was a fun chat
0: all right that's the show thank you very much to kelly rudy for stopping by and uh having that conversation Uh, i hope you guys enjoyed that one i had a blast doing it uh so thank you to kelly rudy for stopping by today. Again, if you have any thoughts on the show, you can send them my way. Twitter and Instagram, I am at PrimeTimePline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotato diary at yahoo.com. Got some bonus wasted talent in. Uh, you can find them on Instagram at wasted talent. There are X's where the A's would be. Check out their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. They got some new stuff coming out. Uh, they provide all the music for the show, and I greatly appreciate that one episode down a few more to go this week i will talk to you guys later in the week i'm out